The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Would you remain standing for just one moment? Turn your, in your Bibles to John, 1 John, excuse me, the book of 1 John chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 5 through 10. Be reading from the ESV this morning. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. If you have it, say amen. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would add your blessing to your word. I want to pray again. I just sense your presence. I normally don't pray before and after reading the text, but I just feel the moving of your spirit. Let us be sensitive, God, to what you have to say today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We are continuing in our series on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. How many know that it is helpful, even as mature believers, to go back every once in a while to the basics, to the fundamentals? I, you know, watching Kentucky basketball this year, you know, you had some star players, some really fantastic players, but it's like they, for a moment, forgot the fundamentals, and now that they are uh, remembering and working on those fundamentals again, they are doing a lot better. And so it is good for us as Christians to go back at times to the basics. And so I'm going to speak on a much-needed subject this morning, the subject of assurance, Christian assurance, or the assurance of our salvation. And my goal at the end of this is to answer the question, what happens when a believer sins? What happens when a believer sins? I've talked to many people who have come through this church and those who attend now who were taught growing up or even more recently that um, when they sin as a Christian, that essentially they become unsaved again. And that until they confess their sin before the Lord, they're like kicked out of the family of God. So it's like in, out, in, out, in, and out. Is that not an awful way to live? 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so what they've been taught is that if a Christian commits a sin, he or she is no longer saved until confession happens. And if they were to die in that state, they will, uh, these preachers say that they'll go to hell, to put it bluntly, all right? 
So to illustrate this way of thinking, let's just imagine faithful Saint Sister Bertha, right? I don't have any Berthas in here, do I? All right, Sister Bertha. That was going to be really awkward if we did, and you guys are laughing at that, right? But uh, listen, uh, Sister Bertha, all right? I just wanted to use a name so you don't think I'm picking on you. Uh, Sister Bertha is in the church. She's a faithful saint. She's been saved for 80 years. And I mean, she loves the Lord, and she serves the Lord. But one day, leaving church, when she's experienced the presence of God, she walks out, and she tragically gets hit by a bus. Poor Bertha. And as the bus was coming, she saw, she knew her life was going to quickly be over, and she used some type of profanity. She said something awful, and she didn't have time to confess the sin. Sorry for your luck, Bertha. You're going to burn forever. Folks, is that not ludicrous? Let me be clear, that is an unorthodox and, frankly, a very cheap view of the cross of Christ. The Lord's sacrifice is not that precarious or it's not that collapsible. I've had many conversations with people who were raised on this type of preaching and listen they literally can't sleep at night because they don't know from one moment to the next where they stand with the Lord. Well, John is writing this letter that we call 1 John so that the recipients would be assured of their salvation. That's why he's writing in part. And you say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because John tells us, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, God, if you are truly a, a Christian, God wants you to know that you have eternal life. So let me just unpack this text, and I want to get to this point where I can say to you what I believe the Scripture teaches happens to Christians when they sin. But this is foundational. This first point is foundational to the passage. Number one, God is light. God is light. Verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. None. So in the Bible, this idea of light, normally going back to the Old Testament and in the New, symbolizes two main things. Number one, the light of God uh, symbolizes his moral perfection. He is without blemish. And number two, it, it uh, symbolizes his truth. God is not just truthful, but he is truth. Amen? So evil and sin in the Bible are often associated with darkness. And then moral purity is associated with light. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, Paul writing to the Christians at Ephesus, he says, For at one time you were in darkness, or you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. When you're saved, friend, you are taken from darkness into light. So he says then, walk as children of light. And I love this. He says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and is right and is true. Light represents all that is good, all that is right, and all that is true. God is light. Light symbolizes his moral purity, but it also symbolizes his truth. 
Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. There seems to be this correlation between light and truth. John 14, 6, familiar passage, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So God is holy, he is morally pure, and he is truth. Can we all agree on that? Now here's the the deal with light. Light exposes, doesn't it? For Christmas this year, my mother and father bought me these bright, uh, beyond bright LED garage lights. Have you guys seen these things? My, uh, my stepdad, when he does anything, it's to the extreme. So I knew, like, uh, it was going to be extreme. But I'm telling you, when I plug these in, it's like the glory of the Lord filled my garage. I mean, we lit up the whole neighborhood. It's crazy. And so I was so excited because there's nothing like having a dimly lit garage. If you want to do anything, I mean, it's hard to even find tools. Uh, not that I'm very good at using them, but uh, when, when I did go to find tools, I couldn't find it. It was so dark and dim in the garage. So I was so glad that this light came on. But the deal is, then I got a little bit upset, frustrated, because I thought the garage was pretty clean until those lights came on. In every speck of dust, and I, I'm just, I'm so anal about the way my house is kept and all of that, like every speck of dust was revealed, right? And so, matter of fact, this last week, it drove me crazy with the salt and the ice and the snow and all this. It had been tracked in through the garage, and I turned those lights on, and I mean, you just see the nastiness all the floor. So Nikki and I, Thursday night, we, man, we cleaned that garage from top to bottom, But light does that. It exposes. And before having fellowship with God, you and I may think, like so many people think, that we're quote-unquote good people, right? That that we're just good. And compared to your neighbor or your coworker or the person you go to school with, uh, one of your friends, you may be, in your mind, a good person. But then you open the Word of God, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and you get a glimpse of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit illuminates the gospel to you. He he shows you the gospel, and you see the beauty and the perfection of Jesus Christ, and you realize, wait a minute, I'm depraved. You realize you're mindful, maybe for the first time, of your own depravity. It's like those garage lights, those bright ones come on for the first time, and you see every speck of dust, and you are filthy. It's like Isaiah, right, in, in Isaiah chapter 6. You, you know, we sing the song, I can only imagine what it'll be like. You know, essentially saying, when I'm uh, in, in your presence for the first time. And we always say things like this, Lord, you know, when, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord this. No, you know what's going to happen when you get in the, the, the presence of God for the first time? Probably what happened to Isaiah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Lord, Right? Woe is me, woe is me. I mean, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees the Lord, and he gets the glimpse of a, the glory of the Lord, he, he, he immediately falls on his face. Woe is me. He realizes he's mindful of his own sin. Light exposes. What does it mean then to walk in darkness? Just as we move through the text. God is light. What does it mean to them walk in darkness? Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. 
So let me say this first, that someone who walks in continual darkness, in other words, uh, habitual sin, that person proves that he or she has never known the Lord. So somebody can say, hey, man, I go to church, I love Jesus, but if there's zero life change, there's no sanctification, there's no being formed into the image of Christ, that person proves that he or she does not know the Lord. This is fleshed out, as a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And that's a really good translation. If you have King James, it says, uh, no one who is born of God sins. And you can go, man, that means we never sin if we sin at all. We don't know God. No, it's in the present active tense. So it means exactly what the ESV says. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So someone may claim to be a Christian, but if there is no life change, that person proves that they do not know the Lord. But what about Christians? John says if we, and he's writing to Christians, and he puts himself in with them, if we claim to have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, then we, in that moment, we're lying. We are not practicing the truth. You may know the truth, but in that moment, you are not practicing the truth. So when we don't walk according to the will of the Lord, in the beautiful way that he invites us to live, we in that moment are walking in darkness, or if you like, we're walking in the shadows. I think I prefer that. That's what it means to walk in darkness. What then does it mean to walk in the light? Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. You know what God's light does for us? It invites us into a new and better way to be human. Jesus is life, and he invites us to truly live. So to walk in the light, remember, light is symbolic. Uh, God being light, that symbolizes his moral purity and his truth. So number one, to walk in this life, light is to pursue moral purity, to want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And by the way, uh, when I say pursue moral purity, I do not mean legalism. Legalism, legalism is binding and that's a part of so many of our churches in America today. We tighten the law. We've made up, I mean, so many people in the church today think, you know, they, they preach against certain sins that are not in the Bible. They're convinced they are because they've heard it, they've been taught it, but they're not in the Bible. That's what the Pharisees did. They tightened the law. So we've lost kind of this idea of Christian liberty. Yes, the Bible is black and white on many things, and that's what we need to pursue but then there's also Christian liberty in secondary issues. So to walk in the light is to pursue moral purity, actually the commands of the Bible. 1 John 2, 3, and by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's not that you're saved by keeping his commandments, but a true Christian wants to keep his commandments. This is the evidence, not the means of your salvation. So God's light through the word reveals how we can walk in ways that are pleasing to the Lord. And then, not only that, because he gave the law to, to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Remember? But what did that do? 
it increased sin because they did not have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. But under the new covenant, we don't have the law written on tablets. But what's the Bible say? It's now written on the tablets of our hearts, which means this. When you become a Christian, you are given God's Spirit. And your heart is now bent towards following the law of God. It's a beautiful thing. So not only does he show you in his word what to do, but then he gives you the power to walk in it. It's not supposed to be this frustrating like he's given us these rules that there's no way we can follow. No, he has empowered you. That's why Paul says, walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Because when you're walking by the Holy Spirit, you can walk in God's plan for your life. And by the way, these commands are not taxing. They're not burdensome. To follow the Lord on this path is to live like we were truly created to live. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden light. The law of the Pharisees, heavy, weighty, impossible to follow. But Jesus says, come to me, you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Walking in the light, secondly, means that we walk in truth. In part, by the context, it means that we regularly acknowledge and confess our sins before the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, often referred to as the Prince of Preachers, got it right when he said that the idea of having no sin is a delusion. He said, you must have shut your eyes to the high requirements of the law. You must be a stranger to your own heart. You must be blind to your own conduct every day. And you must have forgotten to search your thoughts and to weigh your motives or you would have detected the presence of sin. Listen to what he says. He says, he who cannot find water in the sea is not more foolish than the man who cannot perceive sin in his members. Walking in the light is to pursue God and to strive to live by his commands. It is to walk without deceit. When we stumble, we're honest. All right? Let me say this. I'll give you a caveat here. Walking in the light does not mean that we never, ever sin. Now, I want to be careful here because John goes on to say, I've written these things that you may not sin, but gloriously, he says, when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And John says, if we, and again, including himself, if we say we have no sin, we're being deceitful. That being said, the Lord is conforming us into the image of Christ. And I believe this, through the process of sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, the more we mature in Christ, the less and less we should sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We confess our sins, verse 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's interesting here. You, you may say, well, pastor, I did that when I got saved. I confessed my sins before the Lord. Well, the word confess here in the Greek is in the present act of tense. It could be rendered better like this, I believe. If we go on confessing our sins, could somebody write the ESV uh, board and let them know that they need to change. <laughs> the Greek scholar that I'm not. Uh, the, so the word confess, it's present active intent, so it would be rendered like this. If we go on confessing our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is not a one-time event of confession. I love, uh, some of you may not like that, that's okay. Uh, we can still be friends, but uh, I love the prayer of confession that we read together because uh, confession is, is not a habit that we're used to in the contemporary church. In the more traditional churches, that's still a habit. 
It's a general prayer of confession, but here Jesus or John says that we are to confess our sins. So it's not just generally, it's specific sin. So when you sin, you should specifically confess that to the Lord. You don't have to confess it to a priest, but you need to confess it to the Lord. And if you sin against somebody else, you do need to confess it to them and, and apologize and repent to them as well. So as we walk in the light, it says that Jesus' blood continually has effect in our life. It continually cleanses us. So moving along, what then is the constant, what are the consequences for walking in darkness? Are there consequences? You better believe it. When a Christian chooses to walk in those old ways, in the shadows as it were, we're not walking in what God has for us. When we give into temptation and, and we live in unrepentant sin, friends, there are real and, and, and fearful consequences, severe consequences. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin, all right? That's not a word you hear in the church today much, but it's sin. And sin has consequences. Sin, number one, it impacts us emotionally. In our text, it's clear that sin can deceive us, Right? Sin robbed us of the peace and the joy of God's salvation, of many of the benefits that we're meant to enjoy as Christians. In Psalm 51:12, David is, is, is he, this is a psalm of repentance, and he's been caught in adultery, and he says this in verse 12, uh, Restore unto me, Lord, the joy of your salvation. Because when he was in sin, he had zero joy. And I promise you today, friend, you may call yourself a Christian. You may be a Christian. But if you have sin in your life right now, you are a miserable human being. You do not have the joy of the Lord. It's impossible. Sin, number two, not only does it impact us emotionally, but it impacts us physically. Psalm 32, David again, he says, when I kept silent about his sin, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Have you ever been there to where you've tried to harbor some kind of sin in your life and it, and it eats you alive to the point where you are affected physically? That's the grace of God. Here, uh, David says, for night and day your hand was heavy upon me. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. You ought to thank him that he chastises those whom he loves. Sin impacts us physically. In the New Testament, you can read 1 Corinthians 11, talking about the Lord's Supper and taking that in the right manner. It's, it still impacts us physically. Not only that, from our text, we see that sin impacts us socially. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The implication is if we walk in darkness or in the shadows, that we do not have fellowship with one another. Christians who have unrepentant sin tend to want to isolate themselves. Have you noticed that? Remember Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned? What did they do from God? They hid. And that's our tendency to want to hide from God and to want to hide from the people who might call us out on that sin. So it impacts our relationship with one another. Finally, sin impacts us spiritually. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So when we have unrepentant sin in our life, I believe our relationship with God is strained. We feel unclean. We feel unclean. I mean, when we sin, the conviction of the Lord comes upon us, and if we don't repent immediately, there's just kind of dirtiness that we feel. And we're never, as Christians, supposed to walk in shame. 
We're not supposed to walk in shame. But we feel this conviction and we feel this kind of unrest, this weight of our sin. That's the consequence of walking in darkness. And if you're there this morning, stop it. Aren't you glad you came to church for that wisdom, right? Well, let me change it to the positive point here. Benefits. What are the benefits of walking in the light. That's the consequences for walking in darkness, but what are the benefits for walking in the light? Verse, or chapter 1, verse 9, when we confess our sin, He's faithful, He's just to forgive us and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's some of the benefits we get to enjoy. Number one, we enjoy fellowship with God. There's this cleansing that happens when we desire God above all things, and we make a practice of confessing our sins and being honest about our sins and, and, and pursuing uh, God's plan for our lives, there is this cleansing. I mean, if you think of, uh, you know, if you've worked out in the yard all day and you're just grimy and dirty and sweaty, I mean, there's nothing like a nice shower, right, to cleanse you. And that's, in a sense, what we feel when we are honest about our sin before the Lord David, in that Psalm 32, he talks about the difference of hiding sin and confessing sin. All right? So we enjoy fellowship with God. There's this freedom, this healing, this cleanliness that takes place. But not only that, beautifully and wonderfully, we enjoy fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, verse 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. When we are hiding in sin, again, it's uncomfortable to be around other believers. I've had people say to me, Pastor, if I walk in the church, it will burn down because they feel they know they're not living rightly and they, they think, that they, they just understand my sin has consequences. But when we walk in the light, there's this beautiful unity that happens in the body of Christ. When we're honest about our sin, we confess it and we turn from it. There's this kind of connection that springs up from the unity we have with one another. That's why we're real life community church. Understand that we all sin. We need to be able to confess our sins one to another, to be honest, not be pretentious and act like we're somewhere you know, more spiritual than we are. So in closing, let me just say what a joy it is to walk in the light. If you are here or you're watching online and you are walking in utter darkness, in other words, you've never truly come to Jesus Christ, you've never come to Jesus, I invite you to come to him today. I mean, there's nothing worse than walking in darkness. I mean, you just think about uh, in, in the home, some of you lost power last week. Trying to navigate in a dark room is not fun. And spiritually, I'll tell you, it's even worse to try to navigate this life in the darkness. Darkness represents death. It's a path of death. But Jesus came to give you life and life abundantly. It's a beautiful walk that he's offering. So I pray today that you would trust in the Lord, that you would believe upon his death, burial, and resurrection, that you would call upon him, that you would repent and turn to him in faith. But I told you in the beginning that I would answer this question because this is one many of you struggled with. What happens then to a believer when he or she sins? So my goal is to help those of you who are truly Christians, but you don't have that assurance of salvation. 
So let me just give you an, an illustration here. Holly, if you would put that first slide up for me. This is not perfect for you theologians in here. Not a perfect illustration, but this is a bit simplistic. But I just want to help some people. So before you're a Christian, you're in the darkness. You're kind of in the black on the outside. But when you, by grace, through faith in Christ, come to the Lord, you are put in. You see there's two circles here, right? You have the, the outer circle, which is the circle of salvation. I like to call it the family of God. And then you have the inner circle. And I want to be careful with this word. I, I call it fellowship. But what I mean is really the benefits of your salvation. It's easy to remember. Uh, fellowship, family, right? So there's two circles. So when you come to Christ, you are in that inner circle. You are not only saved in the family of God, but you are enjoying the joy and the peace and the sweet fellowship of the Lord, all right? But when a uh, Christian gives into temptation and does not confess that sin, I'm, um, what happens? I, I still believe that you are in that circle of salvation. You're still part of the family, but you may not be enjoying the, the benefits. You will become miserable. And so you're kind of in that outer circle. And that, again, it's just a miserable place to be. It's a miserable place to be. There are consequences for walking in darkness, right? You're not enjoying the benefits. So you need to confess your sin. But before, let, let me just clarify this. You say, well, if I need to confess my sins, doesn't that mean that I'd be put on that outer circle? Let me explain this how I understand it. I mean, beyond the outer circle. Let me explain this how I understand it. I, I think there are kind of two kinds of forgiveness, all right? So in Ephesians, when the Bible talks about this forgiveness that we have received, kind of this past tense, it is a judicial forgiveness, as it were. Like we have, we have right standing with God. You are positionally forgiven. You are in Christ. You have an advocate with the Father. Your sins have been paid for. Just like we, we say, justice has been satisfied. Your debt's been paid. But then there's this kind of familiar experience, this uh, forgiveness, this family forgiveness that we need. Let me explain it like this. Those of you who have kids, when your kids are disobedient, what happens? Do you kick them out of the family? No. They don't need that type of forgiveness, but what they need, there's some tension in the home though, right? There's some tension in the home. And, and there, you can feel it, right? Sometimes you can cut it with a knife. We've been there. We've got two, two children, right? Like we know. But what happens when that child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I've messed up. Wow, I'm sorry. I've broken your heart. I've, I don't want to hurt you. I, uh, I've sinned. I've disobeyed. What happens? There's immediate, it's like that tension is gone. It's just gone. And so that might be a weak analogy, but, but when, let's go to the next slide here. When we confess our sins, here's what happens. We're put back into, again, that, that fellowship with God where we can enjoy. So some of you today are still beating yourself up over sins that you did months or even years ago. Friend, let it go. Confess it. Turn from it and let it go. Realize that you're in that inner circle. You, are, you, you should be enjoying the benefits of your salvation. Now, 
I want to go to one more slide in just a moment because I want to balance this out. So some of you are going to accuse, if I were to stop here, you'd go, well, you're just one of those hyper grace pastors. No, I'm not. There's a movement that's popular today. You hear it on TV. I could name the preachers that they say no matter what you do, hey, grace covers you. Do what you want. Live like you want. It doesn't matter. No, there are many warnings in the Bible. So this is not a blank check to sin. Are you with me? I would say that if you want to use it as a blank check to sin, you might want to check your heart. I, I don't know that you'd be a real Christian in that moment. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says this. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, ev- an unbelieve- evil, unbelieving heart. Christians, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. You know, mark that word, fall away from the living God, those words. So think through that phrase, fall away. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, staying in the outer circle, walking in unrepentant sin has dire consequences. It has absolute dire consequences. The more we are there, the more the darkness begins to take hold of us and impact us. Sin deceives us, and our hearts become hardened. And it seems like this is the place where what we call apostasy could happen. Now, there are different views on this. Both of them, there are two main views. Both of them are orthodox. So Hebrews 3 seems to say that continued sin can harden our hearts to the place where it could cause us to utterly fall away from the Lord. So let's move to this last slide here. So this is what apostasy would be. Habitual unrepentant sin would move us out of that salvation circle. You say, well, how do I know when I'm there? I say, why do you ask? Why would you even want to risk that? So here's the two orthodox views. Our Baptist and Presbyterian friends would say that the person who falls away was actually never really saved. That's the teaching I was taught. Um, I've held that for most of my life, and I can give you great scriptural support for that. But on the other hand, uh, the other widely held view, including our own denomination, believes that the person spoken of here is a Christian who then falls away, and there's a great deal of scriptural support for this view. And through my recent studies, this will shock some of you, but I really lean more towards the latter view now. But let me just say what I'm sure of, all right? And stay with me. A true Christian cannot lose his or her salvation in a way that someone can lose their keys. It's not that you wake up one morning and go, man, I was in the family of God and now I'm out. Now, here's why I say that the Greek word in both, uh, in Hebrews 3, it's used again in, in Hebrews 6, the Greek the word that we translate the phrase fall away the Greek word is in the active voice it's not passive it is a choice that we make so the idea seems to be this that continued sin staying in that outer circle there with unrepentant sin could harden our hearts to the point where we cut ourselves off from the Lord And here's the tragic news of that. And I know this is supposed to be an encouraging message for you, and and, and I hope it is. But I also have to balance this out. Hebrews 6, verse 4, it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, 
who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. Again, this is in the act of voice. To restore them again to repentance. This is somebody who has repented. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him in contempt. So once a person gets to this point, and it, and it would, by the way, I believe, take a lot to get to this point, they will not come back into the fold. Christ would have to be re-crucified. So I'm okay with either view here. Rather that person was never saved or if he or she was saved and then renounced Christ, doesn't really matter. In the end, the tragedy as this, as this person does not receive the life that Jesus offers. I had a second cousin. Her name was Debbie. Is, is Debbie. She's still living. It didn't, it didn't change. All serious moment. But Debbie uh, was raised in the church. She showed the fruit of salvation. My mom was very, very close to her. They grew up in Michigan. And, and I mean, she went to church every Sunday. She loved the Lord. She married a good Christian man uh, and uh, just loved the, this man for, for so many years. And, and they went to church together and they served the Lord together. She showed the fruit of salvation. There's no doubt in my mom's mind that she was a Christian. But when her husband went to school, she got a little lonely. He went back. He was going to be a surgeon. He, she got a little bit lonely. So she went and she found her another man, and he happened to be an Indian doctor. He was Hindu. And instead of repenting of her sin for the affair, and instead of, um, you know, taking the advice of her pastor and her family, she left and she walked away. And not only that, she married this non Christian. And it didn't take long when she was unyoked with, or she was yoked with an um, unbeliever that she started thinking like he thought. She converted to Hinduism. She's into New Age, tragically, New Age practice. And uh, she has renounced Christ. So that is this extreme example, okay? So I know this is supposed to be an encouraging message. You're like, oh, man. What do we do with all this? If you are a Christian, who walks in the light and you try to serve the Lord, I know you're not perfect. I want you to enjoy the assurance of your salvation. You are secure in, in Christ. What we sang is very, very true. That The text that Bob read is a beautiful text of Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And when you sin, confess it and thank the Lord that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord that you're still in His family, but turn for, from it. But right now, Christian, online here, let me just plead with you. If you are walking in the shadows, do not play with sin. Let me just give you some practical advice very quickly. Do not isolate. The, 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 the enemy would love for you to isolate. The, the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Uh, lions love to wait. For, they, they prey upon the weak and, and the isolated. Don't isolate. Come to church. Read your Bible. Pray. Get some accountability with a trusted brother or sister. And let me plead with you. Confess your sin today. And don't confess it and say, hey, when I get home, I'm going to do it again. No. Turn from your sin now. Run from it. Cut it off. Make a plan right now. If you're struggling uh, with watching things, looking at things you shouldn't look at, get the computer out of your house if that's what it takes. Go back to a little flip phone if that's what it takes. 
you're struggling with, with, with greed, uh, uh, you know, or, or just the, the need to buy stuff all the time, and you're, you're blowing your money, get rid of your Amazon account, block it. Some of you are getting packages every day. <laughs> Man, the Holy Spirit's working on me. And finally, here it is. Here's the greatest way to fight sin. It's not just discipline. I've learned this from John Piper. It's been such a help to me. It is the desire and the treasure Christ above all things. You've got to cut it off at the desire level. So you have to replace, you know, if some sin brings you pleasure, some type, level of pleasure, you've got, and if you're going to have any success with defeating it, you've got to replace that pleasure with something even more pleasurable, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will satisfy you like nothing else in this life will. Run to him today. And for all of us, I just want to plead with you this week as we go on, let's pursue moral purity together. Let's pursue truth together. Let's walk it out. Let's walk it out together. This is a beautiful invitation from the Lord to walk in the light. Let's do it together. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.